Well, welcome back to Center Street Church. I hope you enjoyed that video. Today we have a guest speaker with us that is not new to many of us. His name is Sean Campbell, and he has given much of his life to the work of Samaritan's Purse. Today we're going to be talking about how Jesus is thinking about the nations. And at Center Street Church, we care about the nations. We want you to know that at Center Street Church, we want to introduce people to Jesus and then help them to become fully devoted followers of him around the world. Now, we do this locally through ministries of our church as we introduce people to Jesus and then invest our church family to help us become fully devoted followers of Christ in our daily lives. Now, but we don't stop there. This is why we go global. We want to introduce people to Jesus around the world and help them wherever they are, to become fully functioning, fully devoted followers of Christ around the entire globe. This is why we go global. Now, today, Sean is going to be preaching from the book of Matthew and share with us a vision that Jesus had for the nations. We share Christ's vision for the world. In fact, if you're new here, I would love to quickly share with you what we as a church have chosen to do with our calling to the world. Now, to do that, let me share with you a quick illustration. When my wife and I first had our two daughters, someone imparted wisdom to me that forever changed how I would be a father. And it is that same wisdom that we try to impart here at Center Street Church. I was told as a parent that I'm not raising children. I'm raising adults. If I want my children to become the adults that God has created them to be, I need to keep a vision of them changing the world in front of me as well. Well, this is our vision at Center Street Church. We see everyone that comes to our church as a world changer. And we want to do everything we can do to help us all become fully devoted followers of Jesus, not simply babies in our faith. This is why, with Global Ministries, we are actively pursuing you and those in our family that God is calling to serve somewhere in a global environment. Friends, we actually have a heritage of sending you around the world to find your call and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Over the past years, we as a church have sent over 50 traditional global workers around the world from our congregation. That means we are in the business of sending you. We believe that God is pulling on many of our hearts, even this weekend, in light of global restrictions, to see the world changed through the gospel. We love supporting you in this. If you remember, this past January, we had a Global Ministries weekend focusing on how God uses artists of all kinds to change the world through the art of mission. We prayed and commissioned close to 2,000 of our own people to be able to use their gifts and skills on mission. We love getting behind what God is doing in you and bless you in it. Did you know that over the years, the church, Center Street, has sent over 1,000 people cross-culturally to impact their global neighbors for the gospel in many different short-term missional activities? At Center Street Church, we believe in you, and we believe that the local church in action 
is the sustainable presence of Jesus in its community. So we have chosen to help grow and establish local churches around the world to ensure that sustainable change happens everywhere God calls us to. For when the local church is established, it will send its people too. Did you know that we actively are working with over 300 of these churches globally to help introduce people to Jesus and help them to become fully devoted followers of Christ in many nations of this world. Now, for some of you, you may have a passion that God may bring you an opportunity to devote your lives to a specific ministry. Well, this is actually why we have chosen to work with like-minded agencies locally, nationally, and internationally who share our vision for the world. Some of our own people, in fact, help to lead these agencies and as God has continued to grow them as fully devoted followers of Christ. And many of you have chosen to serve these agencies as part of your own process of becoming fully devoted. Did you know that we partner with over 50 of these like-minded agencies locally, nationally, and internationally to make that gospel impact? Well, as we prepare to hear Sean and what he has for us today, let me give you a snapshot of how we can help people in the light of global uncertainty and significant disaster. As you may have heard lately, a great tragedy has fallen upon the people of Lebanon. We grieve with them for this massive loss. We partner with you to pray and to generously give. We partner with churches and organizations in many locations like this that see disaster and we want to bring sustainable hope and change. We partner with trusted agencies to help bring this relief, support, and ongoing relationship to those in tragedy. This is why we've actually partnered with Samaritan's Purse and their disaster teams to help bring the hope of Jesus and the resource needed to the people of Lebanon. Did you know that we actually are partnering with Samaritan's Purse locally as well? The hailstorms this past June delivered local devastation to many of you and our city. In times like these, we not only partner globally, but locally too. Now, as we listen to Sean share with us how Jesus approached the nations, my prayer for you today is that Jesus will stir in you a very specific call to invest your life in someone perhaps locally, nationally, even internationally, to help them become a fully devoted follower of Christ as you pursue your own devoted life and develop yourself as that fully devoted follower that we have given our ministry to. Would you welcome with me Sean Campbell? Thank you, Center Street family, for inviting me today. Um, I'm so grateful to this church and have been for so many years. I spoke at your missions conference many years ago. And just to see your heart for the nations, for our country, for Calgary, has always touched my life and all of us at Samaritan's Purse. Today we're going to continue in the series from Matthew, talking about Jesus and the nations. And Jesus being the hope of the nations. Two events I can remember that so profoundly touched my life 
Back in 1991 in November, I was in eastern Croatia in a town of Vukovar. And in that town, uh, the Serbian soldiers had come in and they had killed dozens of children in cement mixers. And I remember talking to one of the governing officials at that time, and he looked at me and he said, you know, Sean, we have no hope. We have absolutely no hope. About a year later, I was down in Mostar in Bosnia, and uh, I met a 14-year-old girl. And this 14-year-old girl had been raped by Serbian soldiers. And I remember I asked her that question that I probably should have never asked. But I said to her, how many times were you raped? And she looked at me, listen, one time is too many times. She had been raped over 150 times. And the doctor who was caring for her looked at me and said, Sean, we have no hope. And today I want to talk about Jesus being the hope of the nations. You know, that people can survive so many different things. They, I, you know, I've been over 150 countries. And I've watched some of the most horrific things you've ever seen. And I've watched that people can survive often without shelter. They can survive without food. They can survive without, uh, you know, the various things, medicine even, that we'll bring to them. But the one thing that they cannot survive without is hope. And how good it is to know that your church is a church that's interested in bringing the hope of Jesus to the nations. Let's take a look at today's passage. It's from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Let's read together. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his, nation, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Just a couple things I'd like to say about the context. You know, at this time, the Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus, and he withdrew from them. He went to a, a, probably a lonely place, a quiet place. He's trying to get away from what was happening. And if you think about it, the large crowds that followed him, they did this with Jesus a lot. Sometimes Jesus would turn to them and say, you know, if you're not willing to take your cross to pick it up and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Other times he said, if you don't hate your mother, father, brother, or sister, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Large crowds followed him, and it says he healed them all. Uh, can I just say this? God still wants to heal. I believe with all my heart that God continues to this day to heal people. Now we say, well, how come he doesn't do it all the time? God's plans are, are, are bigger than ours. It's hard for us to always understand why God does what he does. Sometimes God says no, and his grace is sufficient. But there are other times where God says, listen, I still heal. And I went through this a lot in my life when people would come up and say, hey, Pastor Sean, we want to bring someone forward. And when I was a pastor just for three short years, uh, would you pray for their healing? Now, I'm always excited when you pray for their healing, but what if God doesn't heal them? But I've realized it's our privilege as God's children to ask. If, if my children, when they're younger, if my grandchildren come to me and they say, uh, Grandpa, would you do this? It's hard for me to ever say no. 
And I think that we need to ask God. Don't be afraid to ask for healing. God may say no. He may say, it's not the time. I've got something better in store for you. My grace will be sufficient for you as you go through this time. Can I just say this too? Oftentimes with God, He can heal instantaneously. But more times than not, I've watched Him heal in increments. Do you remember the story about the blind man who came to Jesus? Jesus took saliva and he rubbed it in his eyes and he said, listen, can you see? He said, well, I can see people, but they look like trees. He did it again and finally he could see. There are other times when Jesus healed instantaneously, but sometimes he heals incrementally just because he wants us to continue to trust in him. And if you're going through one of those times now and you want someone to pray with you for healing, I know there are people in this church who will gather around with you, anoint you with oil. In the name of Jesus, ask God to heal you. Remember, God still wants to heal. Then he says to them afterwards, he says that he healed all those people. He said, don't tell anybody. And I've often wondered why that is. Wouldn't it be great if they all went out and they started telling everybody about Jesus? But he said, don't tell anybody about me. It's not my time. It could be that Jesus knew that the Pharisees, remember when Pastor Ashwin was talking, he said, it's, it's the comparison between the Pharisees and Jesus, the, the boisterous, the ones who wanted all the claim and fame, the Pharisees, and here's Jesus, the meek one, the humble one, the gentle one. And it could be that comparison. And Jesus just in his own way said, listen, I'm not into that right now. You don't need to proclaim my name. But in case we forget, in Matthew chapter 28, the last words that Jesus gives to us in that book, he says, go into the nations and proclaim me. Tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. He gave us that commission. Now's not the time to be quiet any longer. Now's the time to speak up and tell others about Jesus. Well, now we're going to get into the prophecy. You know, this prophecy comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. It was given 750 years before this time. Matthew was very concerned about connecting for the Jewish people and all the listeners and making sure that they understood that this Jesus that was prophesied is the Jesus that's living. The Messiah that they prophesied in the Old Testament is Jesus himself in the New Testament. This is the ninth time. This is the longest passage he quotes. And it gives us a glimpse into what God had given the prophet Isaiah 750 years earlier about the coming of Jesus. There are four things that I want you to remember. Here's the first one. Verse 19. Who is this servant? Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. Listen, this servant is Jesus. You know, when I grew up, I was part of a Catholic church, and I was in catechism. I always knew what the answer to the question was. Any time any time the teacher asked a question, I'd always know the answer is Jesus. I kept saying, it, it has to be Jesus. That's right. Well, here it is. Who is this servant? This servant is Jesus. God is so delighting in him. You know, uh, we recently had our ninth grandchild, and I watched my son-in-law, who's got three boys, and finally he got a little girl, and he held that little girl, and I just saw the look of love and pure delight in his eyes as he held that little girl, and I knew that at that specific time, there's nothing that he would not do for that little girl. So delighted he was. And if any of you have ever held one of your own newborn babies close to your chest, grandpas, fathers, mothers, grandmas, if you've ever held that little child close to your chest and that look of pure, unadulterated, unbridled love that you have for that child, you delight in that child. 
It reminds me of Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized. And again, the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus was baptized. He came out of the waters. And a voice from heaven spoke out, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased and in whom I delight. At the transfiguration, the same thing happened. That same voice. This is my Son, my beloved Son. I delight in Him. But it adds, listen to Him. Let's go on to the next one. We know who the servant is, and this is what the servant will do. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. You know, I don't know about you, but in my travels and when I see what God is doing around the world, sometimes I come back and say, God, what are you doing? You know, I, I know that we've seen in movies the pictures of somebody being crucified. When I got to southern Sudan, the first time that I visited there, I saw three people crucified, hanging on crosses. And I remember coming back to my church here in Calgary and us singing all of these wonderful songs. And I walked out of the church service because I thought, God, where is your justice? Why aren't you showing these nations who you are? And I was rebuked in my spirit, knowing that God is at work and no matter what happens in this world, no matter how bad things get, the truth of the matter is that our God sits on the throne and the earth is but a footstool for Him. And if He is going out one day, the nations will come together because His justice will be proclaimed. Now, I hope you said amen to that. No matter how bad things get, no matter what our council decides to do with certain issues, no matter uh, what our government chooses to do, no matter what happens in the next United States election, our God reigns, and our God is still in control. What's he going to do? He's going to proclaim justice to the nations. In Psalm 89, 14, there's a great verse. It says, The foundation of God is made up of righteousness and justice, but before his throne goes love and faithfulness. Now think about that for a moment. Love and faithfulness go out before God. And what does it do? It draws us to the throne of grace. And what do we experience when we come to that throne? His righteousness and justice. I'm glad it's not the other way around. I'm glad that His throne is not made up of love and faithfulness. And going before that is justice and righteousness because none of us would come. But there's the great hope that we have. That His love and faithfulness go before that throne and it draws people. But once they're there, my friends... They're, they see, they have to come to grips with the fact that God is a God of righteousness and justice. Listen, He is proclaiming, Jesus is proclaiming His righteousness, His justice, and that day is coming when all will know. Next, well, we have the who, we have the what, and here's the how. How will the servant do it? He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear His voice in the streets. Again, as Pastor Ashman reminded you, Jesus is gentle. He's humble. He's not someone who is going to cry out in the streets. He's not going to be someone who's going to quarrel with others. We won't hear his voice. But then he will, let's go to the next one. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. Listen, you know, sometimes we feel that way. We feel like we're a bruised reed. Or, or a smoldering wick. And Jesus, in his love and faithfulness, he will not snuff you out. He will not break you further than you feel broken. He's gentle and humble at heart. Uh, I, I always love that people can always quote a verse from, 
from Peter. It's 1 Peter 3, 18, 15. And it says this, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. We all know that part of that verse. But the very next part of that we can't forget. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have with all gentleness and respect. And I love that about Jesus, that he does proclaim his message. And he always does it with gentleness and respect. Well, let's go on. The next, well, we know the, who the servant is. We know what he's going to do. We know how he's going to do it. And here's the why. Why will this servant do it? And this is where I want to end. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Listen, I'm, I'm glad in some of your Bible, Bible translations you're going to look and it says, in his name, the Gentiles will put their hope. Well, I'm so glad that it, in some of those translations it translated Gentiles because that's who we are. Many of us are the Gentiles. But it's the, all the nations will come together and put their hope in him as he is proclaimed. And I want to tell you something. Indeed, the nations are putting their hope in God. You know, I was in Lebanon a number of times. And I remember they, when they were experiencing that increase of refugees coming out of Syria, a million and a half to two million refugees. Uh, I was talking to the leader of one of the evangelical churches there. And I said, Sammy, I said, yeah, it's incredible. Your, your country of less than seven million, you're so taxed. You've got wars going on and battles being fought. Now all of a sudden you've got a million and a half, two million refugees coming out of Syria. I said, this is a tough time. And he looked at me and says, yes, Sean, it is a tough time. But you know, we've had more people come to faith in Jesus in the last year than in the previous 50 years of ministry. The nations are putting their hope in Jesus. And March 11th, 1991, there was a magnitude 9.1, 9.2 earthquake off the coast of Japan. It hit the northeast part of Japan, devastated it. Uh, I was over there for a year after the, the tsunami hit, meeting with one of the congressmen, Congressman Doi, a member of parliament in the Japanese uh, government. We were in a Shinomaki, an area that is still to this day devastated, wiped out. And I was sitting with him and I said, listen, when I get back, what do you want me to tell the churches? He thought for a moment, which I appreciated. And then he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, we've had 50, you tell people back in Canada, we've had 1,500 years of Shintoism, 1,500 years of Buddhism, and we've had 150 years of Christianity. Sean, Christianity is the only religion that gives our people hope. You know, it's not surprising to me that disasters are happening around the world in places that yet need to hear the gospel. If you had told me 25 years ago that the Middle East would be so open to the gospel now, if you told me that there would be a church in Erbil, northern Iraq, that if you don't get there half an hour early, you're not going to get a seat, if you told me this 25 years ago, I'd say you're crazy. But the Middle East is being cracked open, and the gospel is touching and changing people's lives. Uh, a little while ago, 1994, I guess, uh, sorry, 2014, uh, when ISIS is at its peak and they're there in western northern Iraq and they're, they're, they're terrorizing people. Uh, Mosul was taken over. Mosul, uh, this great city where Jonah went to to tell them to repent. We know it as Nineveh and that's now called Mosul. 
ISIS doing all these awful things that they were. Uh, we had a dentist, the Muslim dentist, a young man come to us and say, hey, I want to wor work for you. And uh, our leader of our team then, Sammy Dagger from Lebanon, Sammy said to him, well, that's great. You can come and work with us. He said, you know, we're Christians, and this is what we believe in. He said, mm-hmm. Well, later on that night, that, that uh, young dentist's father called Sammy and said, Sammy, you can't let my son work for you. The Muslims will kill him. Sammy thought about it and thought he better go back to him and just talk to him about coming to work for us. And he said to him, listen, you know that if you come and work for us, your life could be endangered. He said, yes, I know that. Sammy says, you still want to come and work for us? He said, yes. He said, tell me why. He said, Sammy, for the last two years, I've watched what ISIS has done. They've come here, they've terrorized, they've murdered, they kill, they destroy. And then I watch you as Christians. You come here to bring love. You come here to bring peace. And you give us hope. He said, Sammy, you can pick whichever God you want. I'm picking this God. Listen, my friends. I, I, I want to share this with you. We had ISIS soldiers in our hospital. We had the only surgical hospital just outside of Mosul, just before Mosul was retaken away from ISIS and reclaimed by the Iraqi government. We had the only hospital there. We had a complete wing ward just for ISIS soldiers. Do you know that ISIS soldiers came to faith because they saw the power and the hope that the gospel brings? I say it this way, you know, the low fruit's been picked. The easy fruit for the church has been picked. The fruit that we yet need to pick for the sake of the gospel, it's higher in the tree. It's way up there. And to pick it, we're going to need people who will stand up and say, count me in. Because it will come at a greater sacrifice. It's harder to reach. It'll cost more. It'll be more dangerous. I think of when Matthew, when he starts to talk about the end times, he says, listen, there will be wars and rumors of wars. These are birth pains, but no, the end is yet to come. Friends, we're in birth pains, and you know what happens. Those intens the intensity of those pains get closer and closer together, greater and greater, and the baby comes. My friends, we're in birth pains. There is so much yet to be done. There is a still so many people that don't know if Jesus Christ is the editor of the newspaper, a race car driver, or the son of almighty living God. For us to be able to go to the nations so that they can put their hope in Jesus, this is what it's about. Thank you for what you've done in Center Street. Thank you for what you stand for. I love it that the song that we're going to end with today talks about God not forsaking those he loves. The worship band's going to come and they're going to sing this for us. But know, my friends, that Jesus is not only our hope, but he is the hope of the nations. God bless you.